Well, we've been saying that revival is a, a kingly work of God whereby the power of the Holy Spirit, the church is re-energized, the gospel is heightened, and Christ is honored. It is a kingly work of God, but it comes to a, generally speaking, prepared people who are crying out, come Lord Christ by your power, speak, move, show us your grace. Uh, so this morning we're going to be in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, the first minor prophet, the book of Hosea. Hosea is written about 700 BC. It is the prophet calling the nation of Israel, God's people, back to a place of fellowship, back to a place of repentance. Uh, Hosea uh, is speaking, saying he's pleading with the people to come back. These people have given over to idolatrous practice, to all types of bizarre behavior. And yet this is the Lord's heart in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, therefore, I am now going to allure her, my people. I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and I will speak tenderly to her. Therefore, I will give her back her vineyards and I will make the valley of Achor, which is a place of judgment, a door of hope. And there she will sing as in the days of her youth. And he says in chapter 7, verse 13, I long, I long to redeem them. That's the heart of Abba Father to this backsliding, disobedient people. I long to redeem them. I long them to run to me. And he says in chapter 14, verse 4, he says, he says, uh, I, I will heal their waywardness. I will renew them. He says, I want them to realize, verse 8, that, that I am like a green pine tree. Your faithfulness, he says, comes from me. And the problem was, in part, idolatry, the forsaking of God. He says, he says you, know, you, you have worshipped worthless idols, and like the idols you worship, you have become worthless in the way you live. He talks about reaping and sowing. He says this. He says, they sow the wind and they will reap the whirlwind. Therefore, the stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. She is now bracket merely among the nations like a worthless thing. And yet, Abba Father says to these people, your fruitfulness comes from me. He says, I long to redeem them. I long to bless them. And so revival comes, I believe historically, to a people, generally speaking, who are crying out, come almighty God, by your spirit, stir my heart, stir our hearts, that we might bless the community and bless the nations. Come, Almighty God. And so I'm going to be in this book of Hosea this morning, and I'm going to go to chapter 14 and talk about a seeking God lifestyle. What does it look like from Hosea's perspective to be a prepared people? Well, first of all, a prepared people who are crying for God to, to work, they're, they're rooted in the reality of the God who is. They're rooted in the reality of the God who is. Listen to these statements about 
the God who is. Verse 3 of chapter 14. For in you the fatherless find compassion. Verse 5. I will be like dew to Israel. Verse 8. I will answer him and I will care for him. I am like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Anchored in the God who is the God who is a fatherless to the father. Father, Fathers to those who who are orphans. The God who heals our waywardness and loves us and cares for us freely. The God who answers us and, and who loves us. The God who says, I am like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. And, and these promises, these promises should cause the people of God to rejoice in the goodness of God. And these promises, these promises are fulfilled in, in the person and the work and the majesty of Christ. Listen to chapter 13, verse 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Sounds familiar? Chapter 1, verse 10 says this. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In in the place where it was said of them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. Now, you remember that? And you go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 says this. Paul's talking about how the people of God, the church has been grafted in, and, and we are now in Christ. And he says this, verse 26, it will happen that in that very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. So he quotes this passage from Hosea, and Paul says, this promise from Hosea is met in the person and the work of Christ. So if people are to experience renewal and revival, we must be rooted and grounded in the strong reality of all that Christ is for us. Behold the glory of the gospel. The promises that were given in Hosea fulfilled in Christ. Secondly, if we're to be a people prepared for God, a people who have a seeking God lifestyle, we must be anchored in what the Lord wants to do in and among us. Listen to these promises. This, is, this, blows, this blows my mind. In this book of judgment, in this book of calling people back, you hear the tender voice of God. Listen, listen to this. He says, he, says, he the people of Israel, the, God's people, he will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His, his splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine. And his fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. That's what God wants to do in his people, in his covenant community, and in our lives. Listen to these words. Listen. Blossom. Rootedness. Splendor. Fragrance. Flourish. Fame. If we're to be a prepared people, must realize that, that, that this is the God who is gloriously for us. I was thinking about Romans 8. Listen, verse 31. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he says this. 
Who is he that condemns? Verse 34. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He died for us. He was raised to life for our justification. And present is he is interceding for us. Behold the glory of God. And this is the God who says, I want you to flourish. I want you to have fruit. I want you to extend your rootedness. I want people to rest in your shade. I want you to be my chosen, loved, special, conspicuous, loved people. If I'm, if I'm to be someone who's prepared for the movement of God, I've got to realize God wants to do this in my life. He wants to use us to bless those around us. Use us, use His church to impact the nations. Use us to impact those all over the place for the glory of Christ. Listen to Proverbs 4. Verses uh, 18 and 19. Just listen to this. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. I was just, I was just, this, this week I was thinking about the joy about of being around people who've been married for 40 and 45 and 50 or more years and to see their tenderness and to see the way they care for each other and, and thinking about people married in the Lord and see the way they seek to honor the Lord in their home, the way they seek to care for other people. And I, I just thought that in, in these marriages, I am seeing the fruit of men and women who day after day, year after year, cherished and honored and cared for one another. And and it says right here, it's just the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter to the full light of day. It's God's desire that we grow in Christ's likeness, that we're changed from glory to glory. That's, That's it. Conversely, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. You know, deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. If I'm, I need to be anchored in, in the reality of what God wants to do in my life. You start with the character of God. But, and then you say, but this God is for me. He wants to use me. It's, it's, it's faithfulness unto the things of God. It is a seeking God lifestyle. It is just going for it in the everydayness of life. I've been reading through a book. I think that's the, yeah, reading through a book. And it's a book by uh, the financial guy, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. And. He said that he always likes to sit down with people that are several steps ahead of him and, and interview them, pick their brain. And he said he sat down with this uh, man who was incredibly successful and who has made more money than, he said, anybody I know. And he's a humble, godly man who loves Christ and he's used his money to bless other people. And as they talked, he said, what, what are the, 
what do you do? He says, well, apart from seeking Christ, I do two things. Number one is I, uh, I, I show up every day. And he says, and second, there's a book I read every year without fail that I believe holds the secret to life. And Dave Ramsey said, he got out of his pen. He said, I'm not going to forget this one. He said, it's called The Tortoise and the Hare. He says, are you kidding me? He said, Aesop's Fables. He said, yeah. He says, every time I read it, the tortoise wins. And, and he said, you know, just seek God. Just be faithful. Just look to the Lord. Somebody that's not one of my philosophical heroes had this great line. He said that it's all about a long obedience in the same direction. I, I just talked to him. I said, do we understand what God by his spirit wants to do in our lives? There's a quote, my favorite quote is from a guy named C.S. Lewis. And Lewis says this, when you consider the unblushing promises of the scriptures, our desires are not too strong. They're just too weak. It seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're like half-hearted creatures messing about with sex and whatever. Like, like children who are uninformed, who sit and make mud pies in the slum when an infinite holiday at sea is offered us. No. Do you realize what God wants to do in your life? Do you realize that God looks at you and he says, you know, as you turn to me and as you repent and as you, as you come to me, I, I want to make you blossom. I want to make you a rooted person. I want to spread my, spread my splendor through you uh, by, by letting you be a blessing to those around you. I want you to have, the Bible says, we're the fragrance of Christ. I want to make you a fragrance. I want to make you flourish. I want to make you, again, blossom like a vine. That's what God says to us. And he says to this people called Israel, when they were turned away from God and had set their face opposed to his standards, he says, listen, I am Abba Father. I'm calling you back. I'm just calling you back. The third thing that happens when you when you uh, have a seeking God lifestyle is there, there is a... a, a a, a, a gut-level, visceral okay, hatred of sin. Just look at verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Your sins have been your downfall. Your sins have made you crash and burn. Your sins have come nigh to destroying you. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words and, and return to the Lord. T take words and go to the Lord and say to him, this is how I, I, I have sinned. This is how I have walked away from the standards of God. This is where I have blown it. Your sins have been your downfall. And Calvin says majestically this. He says, we cannot aspire to God in earnest until we have begun to be displeased with ourselves. We are basically unconscious or unmindful of our misery. We will never aspire to God, he says, until we're stung by our fallenness. We'll never cling to the Christ until we say, Lord, alone in you I flourish. And Isaiah says this. Very, this is picturesque language and it's kind of 
R-rated, but listen to Isaiah. Isaiah 30. Okay, ready? I'm just going to tell you, this is kind of R-rated. Listen. Verse 21 and 22. Listen. Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a minstrel cloth and say to them, away with you. What Isaiah is saying here is that when we, when we don't have a visceral hatred of sin, we're like people who take used minstrel cloths and garbage and put it under a glass case and put it on our mantle and say, isn't that pretty? Look at our garbage. We love our garbage. We love, we, we love the maggot-infested garbage that we've encased on our, on our, our bookshelves. He says, no, no, when you, when you hear the voice of God, you know, it's the shepherding voice of God. Whether you turn to the right or the left, you will defile your idols and you'll desecrate your images overlaid with silver. You will throw them away from you. A, a visceral hatred of sin. I, I want to hate sin in my life. I want to hate Sin. I was with my wife the other day and I was reading. She was going through her prayer box. She's got a prayer box. And she saves pictures sent really in Christmas cards. And she files them and prays for people in different days. It's a great system. Missionary pictures. There's a family that we dearly love. They're in another city and this family has three children hitting teenage years and uh, a year and a half ago this man left his family and started living in an open, adulterous, ungodly hell-bound, wrath-deserving relationship with another woman left his teenage kids when they really need a dad I mean, kid, kids always need a dad man, they hit those teenagers they really need a dad and she just said, look, and she held up the picture of those three kids. And I thought, damn you to hell, Satan. Damn you to hell. Damn you. Damn you. A home destroyed by a professing believer, a very strong professing believer in Jesus. Damn you to hell. And I thought, man, I, I want to hate sin. I, I want to hate sin. You look at this, and, and the, the repentance is, you know, your sins have been your downfall. If we're to be a, a seeking God people, we've got to say, man, sins are putrid. Second Peter's pretty graphic. When, when a Christian goes back to a sin, it's like a dog going back to its vomit. Wow. Let me get your, how, how graphic can you get, Peter? Serious about sin. And, and, and then he says this. He says, fourthly, if, I, I need to re repent. 
know the character of God, know what God wants to do in me, hate sin, but, but repent. He says, take words with you and return to the Lord. And say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that our lips may glorify you or that we may offer you the fruit of our lips. And, and then there, there are two issues they address. Says, Number one, Assyria can't save us. We will not mount war horses. So, 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 so sin number one is they were in alliances with people that mocked the character of God. That they were in alliance with a country called Assyria that loved bell worship. Bell worship involved sacrificing children on the altar. And, and we're, we're not going to be in alliances with those people. We're not going to mount war horses with those people. We're, we're, not, we're, just, we're not going to do that. We're not going to be involved in, in alliances with people that desecrate the name of the living God. That's number one. Number two, it says this, we will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. See, that's idolatry is we make a God we can control. And we say our God. It's, it's, it's a God we can control. It's a God that we think is fun. And uh, so we won't do that anymore. We will worship you, living Jehovah, the God who is. See, see for, for us, I, I, I think it, it means we, we, we just go to the world and we, we take words. We don't just say, God, God, forgive me. That's part of it. God, forgive me for this broken relationship. Forgive me for not being the man you've called me to be. Forgive me for this. You take words. You say, this, this nation said, we won't be in alliance with the Syrians and ride war horses with them and depend upon men to save us. We will look to you. Secondly, we want... We want We'll no longer bow down to things that we have made so that we can control them. We will worship you because you are the almighty God. And if I'm to be a, a person who's prepared and ready and anxious for God's movement, I'll be like that. There's a, there's a book written, written in 2005 by a sociologist who did copious research among the 18 to 25 crowd. It was, uh, it was a highly acclaimed book. The guy's name was Christian Smith. And he said as he interviewed young people in America, most of whom he interviewed, I think maybe, well, the vast majority had come from church backgrounds. He, he said, you know, I was, I was amazed at what they were telling me. They believed in, um, he came up with this statement that Morally therapeutic deism. In other words, they want to be kind of sort of morally strong and they believe in a God who's going to meet their needs. And then he said that it has five tenets. These are the five tenets. A great creator God who exists. Okay? A God who wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. And before God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when he's needed. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Um, 
He said, so that's, that, that's what I hear people say. And that, that's an idol. That, that's an idol. That, that's an idol that we make that we can control. God isn't really necessary or God really isn't important until we really need him and we call him in. He called him, Smith calls him a celestial butler. Now we step away from the Bible and we say, this is, this is true truth. See, it's, it's always interesting. I, I saw last weekend, I saw even this weekend, some of our college students coming home and came, come around to me, Pastor Brown, good to see you. We're at this school and we're involved in this ministry and we're going to this church and it's really good. And, and because you, 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 know, you, you train your kids and you send them out, we send them out, we, we see them go. And, and, and we, you always step back and you say about the kids that go out or about, about us, do we really believe the gospel? Or, or is, is it just part of the cultural landscape, kind of like our family votes for this political party or our family does this at Thanksgiving? Uh, is, is it part of the landscape or do we believe that this is true truth? This is blazing truth. Do we really believe that people without Christ are in the vestibule of heaven or hell. People without Jesus, if they die today, today is as good as it will ever get for them, even if they're Georgia fans. Today's as good as it gets. Seriously. They're in the vestibule of hell. Do I believe that? So just as I say, my, my, my plea is maybe we be a people who are prepared. I mean, prepared. Prepared for the empowerment of God. A seeking God lifestyle that's, that's grounded in the reality of who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, that's anchored by the understanding that God wants to use us that has a visceral hatred for sin and that understands that repentance means I take words and I say, I will do this. And, I will. and see, and the end result is, this is what's really, the, the end result is, says, so, do, take words and say, so that, says, so that we may offer the fruit of our lips. That's worship. So our life will be a lifestyle of worship. We will glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Worship. And I just... Just thinking through this, I thought, you know, if, if, how, how would I encourage, as, as your pastor, how would I encourage you to live there? And I thought, four things came to mind. Number one, I should have no other God before me save the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I should be very careful to worship the God who is. Number two... I shouldn't be very careful about idol making in my heart. Hearts, our hearts are idol making factories. I be very careful about anything that pulls me away from the supremacy and the worship of God. Number three, I thought, well, I should be very careful about reverencing the name of God and holding that name in high regard. Personal issue for me. I just, sometimes I'm around people who use the name Jesus as an apostrophe. 
The Lord is good, praise Jesus. I mean, those scrambled eggs were really good, praise Jesus. Oh, we made that stoplight, praise, praise Jesus. I'm going, I just go, be careful how you use that sacred name. It's not an apostrophe or a dash in your vernacular. And then the fourth thing I say is, honor God on the Lord's day. It's got the first four commandments. It's not rocket science. The Lord's day is not a travel day. It's not a football day. It's not a sport day. It's not a day that, it is a day to worship, to be refreshed, to think about how we can be the people of God. What would you have of me to do? It's a day when we come together and we expect God to meet us in worship. Okay. God's empowerment comes to prepare people, a seeking people, a people grounded in the reality of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Church, as we, before I close in prayer, uh, announcement I meant to make earlier this week we have a wonderful opportunity to have tommy nelson here from denton bible church he's going to speak on thursday night friday night saturday morning please note that in the bulletin it should be a wonderful time for you to be here. he's going to talk about biblical manhood and womanhood and he's does incredibly gifted in talking about this issue we need to hear it please be here for that please be here for that let's pray uh, lord uh, thank you for this day Thank you for this day of worship, and uh, thank you for a day to be refreshed and renewed. And Lord, we want to be renewed. Uh, In so many ways, all week we get uh, drummed down, beat down. We hear the 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 cultural zeitgeist, or we hear pablum, or we hear that which is just dark. And we really need to be with the brothers and sisters on on the Lord's day and we need to hear the word of God and we need to sing hymns of praise and we need to offer to you the fruit of our lips and our lives and that's just what we need to do uh, Lord I, I really pray we be a prepared people and uh, I pray the altar of our lives would be expectant and ready I, I pray that, that in my own life I wouldn't douse the altar with sin with uh, unrepentant attitudes, with uh, a lack of understanding that life is a stewardship given to us by you. I just pray I wouldn't douse the altar with, um, with water. And, uh, but Lord, I just may we please fall upon us, I pray, and uh, speak to us by your word, empower us by your spirit to be a blessing to those around us and a blessing to the nations, I pray. God, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.